Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This time out, we're going to talk about a bunch of movies. One I got to see in the theater. Yes, I did make it out to the theater. Uh, a bunch I saw on DVD and a couple I saw on cable, particularly Turner Classic Movies and one on AMC, I think it was. Um, also, I'm going to talk about uh, a place I discovered to pick up uh, used DVDs pretty cheaply. And uh, I have a book that I'm near... Uh, completing and uh, just wanted to talk about that too because I was pleasantly surprised by it. The story is sort of your basic horror movie taken apart. Five kids go to a cabin in the woods to have a fun weekend of partying and possibly sex um, and are therefore dismembered one by one. First off I want to talk about my theater experience and I finally got to get out and see the cabin in the woods. Our local AMC theater finally got it, so I paid my dollar fifty and went and saw it. And I have to say, I was pleasantly surprised. Although I had heard a lot of podcasts talk about it, so I knew the entire story. I knew the ending. I knew who was in it. I knew the twists. I knew the uh, the little secret, uh, um, like the uh, there was a cameo by a a big name uh, actress that uh, I would think is supposed to be a surprise, but I knew all of that, and I was still very uh, happy after I left the theater. Uh, I have to say, or I have to confess right off, that I am not a slasher fan. I have seen the Nightmare on Elm Streets and Halloweens and um, other slashers, lesser-known slashers, and I have to say, I'm not really a fan of watching people die in movies. I the concept of people saying um, that they like to see creative kills and all that um, doesn't ring uh, true with me. I uh, I guess I'm too I have too much empathy. So when I when I see people in the screen dying, I think um, you know that it's I think of the impact of what it would be like in real life for someone to die. So I don't take it as lightly when I see it in the theater. Although I have to say when it happens in a zombie movie, it's totally different because to me that's more kind of fantastic because um, uh, up to now zombies don't exist in, in reality. You could say voodoo zombies may exist, but the Romero style zombies haven't 
hit yet, at least as far as we know. So um, when I'm watching that, it's more fantastic to me. So when I'm watching someone die in, in that, I can uh, distance myself from it. But when I watch, you know, kids going to camp or, or uh, you know, um, like in Halloween, kids just kind of hanging out <laughs> and dying, it's uh, it's disturbing to me, kind of. So... Um, I don't know if that makes me weird or if it makes the people who like it weird or if we're all normal. But uh, I have to just say that uh, I, when I was going to see Cabin in the Woods, I was not the fan that was hoping to see a, uh, a nice new modern slasher movie. But like I say, I knew what the twists were. So I knew exactly what I was getting. But, you know, once you start watching the movie, you forget about that and you let the movie take you along on the story. And... Uh, I was I really liked the actors in this movie. Everyone did a good job. Um, uh, the cast is uh, Kristen Connolly, Chris Hem Hemsworth, Anna Hutchinson, Fran Kranz, Jesse Williams, Richard Jenkins, and Will Bradley Wilford Whitford. Sorry about that, Bradley. Um, I have to say the only one I had heard of in this cast really was um, was Chris Hemsworth, and I haven't seen. Thor yet, but I've heard people enough people talk about it in podcasts to know his name, but uh, I really enjoyed him in this movie. And I'm a huge fan of the Thor comic books, at least the ones I read when I was in junior high and high school. So um, I don't know what's happening with, with Thor nowadays, but I am um, a, a fairly big Thor fan. So I can't wait to see that movie eventually when I run across it, but I just haven't seen it yet. Um, everyone raved about Richard Jenkins and Bradley Whitford, and I have to confess that when I would listen to podcasts of people talking about them, I I wasn't familiar with them. Although uh, after seeing them, I knew um, their faces at least, but I I still didn't know their names. So, uh, but what was funny is everyone really went on and on about Bradley Whitford, and I would scratch my head because I didn't know who he was. But when you see him, of course, you've seen him in all kind of stuff. But I didn't know his name, so um, I was looking at his filmography. Um, what, what has he been in that is really big? He was in Adventures in Babysitting, Revenge of the Nerds 2, um, Young Guns 2, Scent of a Woman, RoboCop 3, Philadelphia, A Perfect World, Bicentennial Man, which I'm sure no one saw. Uh, <laughs> um, that's pretty much it uh, until Kevin in the Woods. But, oh, Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants, if you got out to see that one. but um, And he's been in a lot of TV, too. So you've seen his face all over. I see the West Wing. I think he was really big on the West Wing. So that's probably where I saw him, although I, I wasn't a huge fan of the west wing but i you know i would stumble across it occasionally and his face seemed um to be there a lot in, in the west wing so i have to say uh when i was listening to podcasts about it i didn't didn't know who bradley whitford was but i thought he was really good although i have to say richard jenkins who a lot of people who were raving about in this movie um i think he steals the movie at times he's really good um if you're not familiar with the movie you know, I'm sure most people have heard of it. It's um, a group of college kids take off to a cabin in the woods. You know, it's called Cabin in the Woods um, for a weekend to get away. And uh, 
you start to, you know, if you don't know anything about this movie, and, and I'm going to have to say I'm going to spoil the movie, um, although, like I said, I knew everything about this movie when I saw it, and I still thought it was really cool. So um, I don't know. Maybe this is a, a movie you can't spoil. But um, a group of kids, I say kids because I'm 45, but they were, you know, college kids uh, getting a mobile home and or what is it, a, a, a what do you call that? An RV and uh, drive up to this one, one of the guy's um, relative's cabin. And, uh, and uh, they get there and there's, you know, it's kind of, it's very creepy. And one thing I thought was weird is when, when they get there, they discover there's a two-way mirror in one of the rooms from one room to the other. So one room can see into another room, but in that other room, it's a, a mirror, so you can't see them. And I thought that was kind of a slip up, but maybe that was to let us know that even though this program that we're going to learn about in a minute has been going on for a long time, they're starting to get, um, they're starting to get sloppy. So expect something bad to happen. Maybe, maybe it's foreshadowing because they find uh, this two-way mirror in one of the rooms and it seems like a it seemed like a slip up to me later as I was thinking about it but then I start to think maybe it it was supposed to let us know that you know they're getting sloppy because later on I'll explain um, you know you start to see a lot of stuff that doesn't seem very professional like I said if you go into this movie not knowing anything about it um, you'll think this is going to be you know another Friday the 13th or something like that where a bunch of young kids go to a cabin and little by and one by one they're picked off by um, a, uh, a, ser a killer, a slasher killer. And uh, at the end, one of the girls will survive and uh, the movie will end. And then if, if it makes enough money, they'll make another one with the same killer, even if he dies in the first one. Well, um, if you're expecting that, you're in for a surprise because... We find out that there's a government program going on where this cabin is being monitored by a bunch of, um, what does people call them, like civil servant types, you know, they're in like white shirts, short sleeve shirts with black ties and uh, the whole thing is being monitored and the kids are being manipulated to do, you know, what we expect them to do um, and die for what we find out later is um, as sacrifices to these elder gods that um, that apparently um, over the years we've learned that uh, if we don't sacrifice um, make sacrifices to these elder gods every year they will destroy the earth so and apparently in every country around the world this is what I understand they do these sacrifices just so that someone will succeed and the earth will be saved because they do it, they show it in um, Japan and somewhere else. I can't remember. I have to uh, confess, it's been like two weeks since I saw this in the theater, so my memory's getting a little sketchy on it. But um, apparently, the the you can't just kill the people to appease these gods. You have to sacrifice them in a certain way, and they have to be, um, you know, they're in the horror movie conventions of whatever country it's happening. So in our country, apparently, the the slasher is, is the most common or popular horror genre, apparently. And so in our country, we, we always send people out to a 
cabin and what they do is they kind of as they're exploring the cabin that they're staying in they will pick what what the um the way they're going to die or the style and because the basement has a bunch of stuff in it the cellar and they they discover the cellar and whatever they end up picking up or you know or using in the cellar will determine what what is unleashed and of course our group uh finds a diary i think it was and it's that mode of death uh unleashes these um hillbilly zombies i think they call them and uh that so it's i'm kind of excited because uh, i am a big zombie fan so so that was kind of cool the zombie family is called the buckners but it's you know the specifics aren't important because you can learn about this movie um, really very easily online. I just want to, uh, to, um, give you an idea of what it's about and, um, and let you know that this movie is worth seeing. That's my main goal because, uh, like I said, I saw it for a dollar fifty and it was totally worth it. If you can see this on, on DVD, I would totally recommend it. But like I said, they, they discover this uh, diary and start to read it. And I think the girl reads, um, I, from what I remember, I think she reads something in the book that's like in um, Evil Dead where it, it causes the uh, zombies to be reanimated and uh, come after them. And uh, it's very well done. I would say if it weren't, uh, if, it, if they weren't going for this alternate um, take on slashers, they could have done a pretty effective slasher with it. But uh, this makes it 10 times better, though, this whole um, government program that's being run, and they keep going back and forth. Like, they'll go to the into the cabin, and then you see what's going on in the cabin on a monitor in the, in the underground uh, control room, and you see these guys monitoring it and, you know, triggering things to get things to happen, like pheromones are being released to get them to have sex so that then they can be killed by the zombies or things like that. So it's uh, it's just neat how they manipulate these kids to get what they want. And uh, there are twists along the way. It does look like at the near the end that the, the whole program has been successful and they've sacrificed all five of the, the, the kids and um, appeased the ancient ones or the old gods. But, uh, you know, there's a twist that one of them actually survived and uh, he's still alive in this underground area. And, uh, so, you know, they have to kill him to be able to, uh, make the sacrifice complete. Although at that point, the final girl is still alive too, but she's the virgin or whatever they say. And she can, she doesn't have to die for the, um, sacrifice to be complete. But, um, like I mentioned earlier, that whole foreshadowing thing where they find the, uh, the, uh, two-way mirror, another one of the characters who was my favorite character was kind of the burnout guy. I can't remember which name he was. Um, darn. Because he was the best. He was the best guy in the whole movie. Maybe he was Holden. Let me see. Nope, he wasn't. That was the other athlete. Um, maybe he was Marty Mikalski. Yeah, he was. Uh, his name is Fran Kranz, the actor. And he played the stoner, the dude, the burnout guy, Marty. And uh, he was the best one in the, in the movie. And uh, he ends up not dying, 
and so that throws the plans off and uh, what's funny is um, you know like they find that two-way mirror and later marty finds a cord in the you know going up the wall that is one of the cameras because they have cameras in all the rooms so they can monitor what's going on so little by little you know these guys the the government guys start to slip up and you know this thing starts to kind of fall apart although they believe towards the end that they've succeeded and, and it's and they've done the sacrifice um you can see along the way like these government all of the employees are like having a party and they bet on um who's going to go first or you know or how they're going to go and um so you see that they they've kind of gotten lax in their discipline in this government agency and so it's kind of setting them up to fail and uh, when they do it's not surprising and actually some of the more the more amazing stuff happens um, late in the movie underground in the underground um, facility where you see the uh, when uh, marty and the final girl i can't remember her name but she's really good too Um, maybe she's Kristen. hold on a second yeah Kristen connelly so she plays uh, dana polk and uh, there, when they f- discover the underground area, and they go down to to see what you know to kind of try to escape from these zombies, and then realize what's going on, they find a button that's basically the uh, the button to release all of the potential monsters that were you know could have been um, the the killers, I guess, in this movie, like a werewolf and um, a girl, like um, like a possessed girl, and and uh, what is it, merman and all this? They hit a button and that releases all of these things into the facility, so that you know that you know, like a giant snake and things. So these government agents are all being slaughtered by these monster things, and you just think, um, why would there be a button? <laughs> they would release all of these things. It doesn't make any sense, but it's still fun, and uh, and the whole ending of this movie is great because. Um, you know, if this one guy ends up dying, it saves the whole world because he's the last one that has to be sacrificed. And what's funny is, though, apparently he can just die, even though it doesn't it doesn't fit the pattern, you know. But he if he dies, that will that will um, keep the elder gods or the old ones from or ancient ones or old gods from destroying the earth and. Uh, just a long story short, he doesn't die, and the earth is going to end. The world ends, basically. And it ends with a big giant arm shooting out of the roof of the cabin and kind of reaching out. So that's supposed to be this giant ancient one or old god coming from a deep underground to destroy the world. So um, so it's, it is an end-of-the-world movie, but it's not post-apocalyptic. It's kind of pre, and then right as it starts... So, but it's it's just a really neat idea because, like I said, I'm not a slasher fan at all. And this starts with a slasher idea, but then it's so much more. And uh, the whole underground facility thing is really well done. Watching these civil servant types uh, do their job and kind of, you know, um, um, callously or coldly watch the people die. You know, although when you think about it, the in the bigger picture, they're saving the world, so. It, you can't blame them for not feeling 
that bad about these people dying because it is keeping the world going. Plus, who knows how many times these people have had to do this, how many years in a row they've done this. So at least the two main guys we see, you know, they they have a um, like a military guy with them who's new and he's really affected by it. But these guys have done it so many times that it's nothing to them. You know, these people are just, um, you know, things they something they have to do killing these people to save the world and and i guess it is pretty important that they end up saving the world every year except for this one of course but uh i'd have to say um this movie is it's really fun it's really good i would totally recommend it of course it's co-written by um a guy named drew goddard and directed by drew goddard and co-written by joss whedon joss whedon and uh, everyone's heard of Joss Whedon, I know. Um, I guess Drew Goddard was, was more of a writer before this. I guess he wrote on Buffy the Vampire Slayer and um, what was the uh, Angel the series, the other Whedon series, and, uh, and on Lost, I guess. And I'd have to say that I think this is pretty well-directed. Nothing jumps out as, as, as being bad to me. I thought it was pretty good. And I think it's really well-written. You know, it plays with the stereotypes of the slasher movies. And, you know, you have to admit there's not a whole lot going on in a lot of slasher movies. They're pretty, uh, they just follow the numbers and uh, kill the people when, you know, the last girl gets to live. And uh, so so they're not that creative necessarily. And this movie takes that and says, well, you know, we know this is kind of not very creative, so we're going to be creative on top of it. And uh, it is really good, you know. And like when the whole final, the, when the final girl is battling with the zombie, the one of the zombie hillbilly zombies, um, you just see it on a screen for the most part, a little TV screen, you know, over the guy's shoulders. So it's not even important, really, you know. It's this whole saving the world project that's important, and rightly so, I would say. But I'd say uh, Whedon did a great job, and so did Drew Goddard. Um, all the acting was really good. I thought, I thought it was very well done all the way around, and uh, uh, I'm glad I got to see it in a theater because it was really fun and it was very visual. And the ending made me want to know more, you know, about these ancient ones and all that. So I did go to the bookstore and just kind of flip through the uh, the novelization of the movie hoping that they would give you some more background. And uh, all I did was read the last couple pages just to see, and it was identical to the movie. So you don't learn any more necessarily. There are two books on this movie. There's like a, a making of book and then a novelization by Tim Levin. Well, it says the novelization is by Tim Levin and creators Josh Whedon and Drew Goddard, Josh Whedon and Drew Goddard, which I would guess they'd have to say because those guys wrote the, the screenplays. So, but... Uh, I was tempted to pick up the novelization, but it's like seven bucks, I think. So I may wait and see if I find it somewhere for a quarter because uh, I, I, the library sales I go to, paperbacks are either 50 cents or a quarter. And then when I go to Value World, periodically they have books for 25 cents or five for a dollar. So I end up picking some good books up there. I just got the Darkly Dreaming Dexter novel for a quarter. So, and I've read that, but I, I just wanted to reread it, so I grabbed it. And I've gotten some pretty good books there at these places for 50 cents or a quarter. So I'll hold out and, and get um, the Cabin in the Woods novelization eventually. But I, like I said, I was hoping to find a little more out. Like, I remember when I saw um, Saving Private Ryan, um, there were some things in that movie that uh, were a little confusing to me. So I, when I went to the novelization, it really cleared it up. 
Um, so sometimes a novelization can really give you some more insight into what's going on because, you know, in a movie you may see a character staring at something for a few seconds, but you don't really know what he's thinking. And in the novelization, they give you more of the background and you get that internal monologue. So you know what he's saying or he's thinking or he or she. So I went to the novelization hoping it would shed some light on the ending and it was pretty much what you saw in the movie. Now, other parts in the novelization may be a little more detailed, so you may get to, to know a little more about what's going on in the movie from the novelization, but for the last couple pages that I read, it didn't really shed any more light on it. But, um, but that's my experience with going to the theater and seeing Cabin in the Woods. I would totally recommend it. It's still at Cinemark right now, depending on when you hear this. But I can't picture it being there much longer because it's been there quite a while. But I would definitely recommend picking it up or watching it on a DVD. Let me tell you how it's going to be. You are going to suck it up because ADD needs a sloppy Robert Fishman type drummer. It's just one more night, one more show. Just finish what you started. What do you say? I say I am the best sloppy Robert Fishman type drummer there is. Ow. Ow. Sorry. Next, I want to talk about a movie that uh, I was pleasantly surprised to find on cable. I'm pretty sure it was on AMC, and it stars um, Dwight Schrute, also known as Rain Wilson. Anyone who's watched The Office knows um, who uh, Rain Wilson is, or I like I always think of him as Dwight because I, you know, that's what I mostly know him from. But it's a movie called The Rocker. It's from 2008. And I, when I've seen this movie mentioned or, you know, posters or things online, I uh, totally dismissed it, thinking this movie's just going to be, you know, not very good, kind of um, just silly. And for some reason, I was flipping through one night on cable, and I landed on AMC because, you know, in our... In our system on UVerse, it's you know TCM, then AMC, then or TCM, Fox Movie Channel, AMC, Sundance, and IFC all together because we don't have a fancy package, but uh, we have a bunch of these these you know non-premium movie channels. And The Rocker was on, and I ended up watching. I caught it from the middle to the end, and then AMC then usually replays a movie, so then I watched it again all the way through. And since I've seen it again all the way through another time, and uh, it's just so much fun, and it's just such a nice movie. Um, it's called The Rocker, and The Rocker is uh, the main character that um, that Rain Wilson plays, and his name is, his last name's Fish, but his, oh, his first name's Robert Fish Fishman, and he's a drummer in a band called Vesuvius at the beginning of the movie. It's a local Cleveland band that's kind of about to make it big, or at least to get a record deal and then make it big. It turns out that the the record company will only give Vesuvius a record deal if they fire Fish and hire, I think it's the president of the record company's nephew. Yeah, the president of the record company's nephew as their drummer. So they, they reluctantly kick Fish out of the band because uh, it's going to lead you know to their success. So they have to pretty much do it. And Fish, you know, um, isn't very happy about it, but he, you know, he... He says he's going to, you know, he's going to start his own band that's even better and uh, and all this. Well, he doesn't, and and you know, we flash forward to twenty years later, and Fish is uh, pretty much just a, you know, working, 
you know, a horrible job like everyone else and uh, and uh, unhappy, you know, especially unhappy because Vesuvius has gone on to be a huge band. And later in the movie, we see them, you know, at a concert that is the, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concert that is before they're going to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So here he is, a guy who started this band 20 years ago and named the band even, but then got kicked out. And, you know, he's really um, bitter about them being really successful and his life not going at all the way he had hoped. But um, he, he he breaks up, or his girlfriend dumps him, and I think he loses his job at this point. Could have been, but it's not important. But he ends up having to move in with his sister's family, and uh, his sister's son is a keyboardist in a band and they're going to play at their prom but their drummer gets kicked out of school for something i can't remember what it was is it drugs or um just a second that's just uh, online it just says he gets thrown out of school this kid gets in trouble so they ask fish if he'll drum for them for the prom because if he doesn't they'll lose the gig you know so he does, and, and it goes fairly well. There There's some rough spots because this is basically the first time Fish has played drums, it seems like, in 20 years. So, But he snaps and does a solo and everything, and it's just kind of doesn't make the band happy. But um, afterwards, after that, Fish goes to the rest of the band later, you know, days later, days later, and uh, wants to get them some gigs because he thinks the band's pretty good. And little by little, they start to take off and... Um, they get a record deal and they start to become really, you know, really, um, known, you know, they, they tour and everything. And they're becoming a pretty, um, uh, pretty big band called ADD. And, uh, I can't remember what ADD stands for. It's not attention deficit disorder. It's something else. Maybe it is attention deficit disorder. Yeah. Online. I don't see, uh, what the letters stand for, but, um, and you know, and you get to see the 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 band kind of grow together. And Fish, you know, is, is, wants to live this wild life of you know of a rock star like he uh, like he planned when he was you know younger twenty years before. And you know, it really takes a toll on him because he's a lot older now, and he uh, physically can't take it. You know, like he's his hands are hurting. He has like the carpal tunnel syndrome, um, wristbands on. And, you know, he's always. You know, <laughs> He's always in pain, and at one point he jumps off the stage, and uh, he like breaks his ankle. He says, and you know, because he's just so old and out of shape, he can't take this drumming anymore. But, uh, but you know, things are going well, and um, the band then is is asked to open for Vesuvius, Fish's old band, um, in the concert for their Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction. He refuses to do it because he's still bitter that they ruined his life by kicking him out of the band. And uh, he quits the band then. And, you know, the band gets this um, young, um, they call him Abercrombie and Fitch-looking model for a replacement drummer. And uh, and Fish gets a job, has his brother-in-law get him a job at his company. And, uh, and he, you know, they show his job interview and he's not happy. But uh, you know, in the time before their their um, their concert, the concert's going to happen. It's in Cleveland. Um, the band kind of, you know, kind of. Um, there are some disagreement within the band 
uh, the main character who's the lead singer he thinks fish and his mom were, were messing around and uh but they they weren't really um it was fairly innocent at least to that point but um the main characters played by a guy named teddy geiger i think it is g-e-i-g-e-r geiger um but he plays a character called curtis powell in the movie he's the lead singer of add and he writes the music and it said he also sings the songs in the movie so he's a real life musician they say but uh he he realizes that fish wasn't isn't a bad guy and wasn't messing around with his mom. So he goes to where Fish is now working and asks him to do him a favor and sing in the for the, or play drums in their concert to open for Vesuvius. And Fish doesn't want to do it, but he because he loves his kid. You know they've grown to be friends and and uh, you know while they've been on the road, he's friends with all. You know he's grown to love all of the the members of the band and they've grown kind of together and. uh he agrees to do it finally, which is kind of a touching scene. Like I, I said, this movie, it, it, it's a silly movie that um, kind of has a heart, I would say. That's what I say. I mean, other people may watch the movie and say it's crap because, you know, it's if you look at it financially, its budget was $15 million and it made 8.7-ish, $8,776,338. So it would be considered a, a bomb or a failure. But uh, I think it's just a nice little movie. It's kind of that, like that thing you do. I think it's called the Tom Hanks movie that he directed, where it's it's, you know, it may seem like this silly little movie, but it really has a lot of heart, and it's really interesting and fun, and the music's good. Um, I don't, I can't say the rockers' music is as good as the that thing you do music, but I think it's fun. Um, they tend, they seem to play a lot of slower songs, even though Fish is drumming like crazy. And he's soaking wet from sweat, but uh, they—it uh, is—it does have a lot of heart. I think that's what really grabbed me about this movie. Um, you really care about the characters in it, and uh, and it's just fun. And it's really nice to see Christina Applegate again in something. Uh, she still looks great, even playing a mom, you know. But uh, they, you know, they go to play the gig opening for Vesuvius. Um, walking backstage before the show, ADD runs into. Vesuvius backstage and fish, you know, you don't know how he's going to react. Is he going to snap and yell at them or what? And he talks to them and, and kind of, um, you know, says he forgives them basically for what happened and wishes them luck on stage, which is kind of bad luck because, you know, you're supposed to do that whole break a leg, but he says good luck with a smile on his face. Like, you know, something's, he thinks something's going to go wrong. He's just jinxed him. And ADD goes on and plays a good opening, you know, act for the, for the, Vesuvius' show. Vesuvius goes on, they're jamming, and suddenly <laughs> the lead singer's mic flies out of his hand, and uh, so he can't sing, but his voice is still going on um, uh, over the speakers, so it's obvious that they're lip syncing, and uh, the, they get booed off the stage at their, you know, induction, Hot Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction concert. And uh, AD and ADD ends up going back on stage and jamming, and it's just fun watching them play. And it ends with kind of a freeze frame at the you know at the very end. I think they're high fiving or something on stage, and it's just fun. It's just a nice movie. Uh, you know, I don't think anyone would would say this is a classic or anything, but it's got a lot of a very a rock, um, what is it school of rock vibe to it. You know, but it's it's not as they're not as. Um, 
you know, they're not going, they, they don't have that far to go because they're a decent band to begin with. And then they had fish and, uh, and then they kind of take off because it's kind of like that thing in that thing you do where, um, where, you know, they have a slow song and then the drummer starts to play faster and they think, oh, that's, oh, the song does sound better faster. And it makes it a, you know, a hit where it would have been just a, this kind of slow, slow song, you know, this very, um, sad, slow song, but it's turned into a more up-tempo slow song, not super fast, but it's a lot like that. So it does kind of, you know, this is from what, 90 or 2008, which that thing you do has to be way older than this, um, You know, that's, that's 96, so that's uh, 12 years older than this movie. So I'm sure whoever wrote this movie saw that movie because uh, it, does, it does owe a lot to that, I think. But uh, it doesn't mean this is a bad movie. I wish more people had seen this, although you never know. On DVD, this movie could be huge or on cable because... Uh, it's it is a really good movie and i remember going to a blockbuster going out of business sale and they had like 10 copies of the rocker and it had gotten down to like 96 cents it's either 96 or 46 cents and there were a lot of them left and i just thought all oh, this movie's got to stink if no one wants it but boy was i wrong because i think it's a it's a good movie i you know you may not like it but i think you will you know it's just a fun movie and it's a nice movie you know uh, it, it may not be a classic, but I, I think it may be actually, but eventually I think it'll catch on and people will really appreciate this movie. Um, it's got good performances, good music. It's a nice story. You know, it's a feel good kind of movie, which, you know, why would you want to feel bad at the movies? If, you know, and there are movies that are kind of, you know, leave you with a bad feeling, but you know, I'd rather watch this and be happy than watch the road and be scared. <laughs> You know, when I read The Road, I was so disturbed for like a week because it's like, what if that happens? What are you going to do? You know, where are you going to get water? Where are you going to get food? Where, you know, what are you going to do to live? You know, it's like, that's scary. This is fun, you know, so I would totally recommend it. I I think you could do a lot worse than watching The Rocker. You know, I guarantee that. I noticed from your door, Dr. Flada, that your area is biochemistry. But I understand your real interest is... Death, Colonel Kane. Correct. Thanatology is the name for it. Death for you, Colonel, is a bureaucratic problem. Who did it? When? Why did they do it? A problem to be solved, am I correct? And for you? Well, I'm fascinated by death itself. What happens as we die, when we die? What happens after we die? You mean life after death? Yes. Is there? What? Life after death. Do you really want to know? No. But to answer your question, yes, I think there is. If I am correct, the life force is conserved always and in all things, even after death. And you think that applies to what's happened here tonight? Yes. Yes, I do. I think that girl, creature, drained energy, life force partially from Bukowski and totally from the guard. A vampire? It could be described that way, yes. I mean, in a sense, we're all vampires. We drain energy from other life forms. The difference is one of degree. That girl was no girl. She's totally alien to this planet and our life form, and totally dangerous. 
All right, when I was at a local library book sale that I go to every once in a while, they have a uh, a little bookstore in their library where they sell used books. And it's not that little, actually. It's a decent-sized uh, bookstore. I ran across them a book, a paperback, called The Space Vampires by Colin Wilson. And I thought, you know what, that sounds familiar, because I read the back, and I said, oh, this sounds a lot like a movie I saw years ago. And uh, <laughs> it turns out it was. Uh, I, luckily I bought the book. It was a little more than I usually pay for paperbacks. It was 50 cents. And, uh, normally I pay a quarter, but, uh, at this place, this book sale, they're usually 50 cents for a paperback. Um, hard covers are usually a dollar. So it's a little more, it's a little higher price than I'm used to, but uh, it's in a fancier city than mine because <laughs> my library book sale, um, which is, uh, you know, like a shelf or a couple shelves, unless they're having their annual or biannual book sale, then it's a room. But they're, you know, their little book sales, a couple shelves, but they're a quarter for paperbacks and 50 cents for hardcover. But I bought The Space Vampires and I brought it home and I read it. And then I rewatched the movie that was made based on it called Life Force. And uh, Life Force is from 1985. And to me, it always seems older than that because I seem to remember... Um, thinking about it in junior high, but it couldn't have been because I graduated from high school in 85. So I graduated the year this movie came out and uh, I remember seeing it and really liking it. And uh, it's surprising because everyone, when you listen to podcasts, everyone rips on Toby Hooper. There's the whole joke about um, Steven Spielberg had to have directed Poltergeist. There's no way to Toby Hooper did it. He's just not, you know, very good and blah, 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 blah. But he did this movie and it's really good. So, you know, I think, um, I think people should give Toby Hooper a break because he, uh, he must be pretty good. You know, he did Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but, uh, you know, people can't, because it's kind of a gritty, raw movie. You know, no one wants to give him credit for being a good director. But Life Force is pretty slick. I think he did a nice job on that. Poltergeist is is a fun movie. I don't know why you can't believe uh, he did Poltergeist, because it's that was three years before Life Force. And uh, Invaders from Mars was decent, from what I remember. Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2, I don't remember a whole lot about. People really talk about it. I got a decent copy of it recently from my DVD guy for two bucks although you know i get 11 11 for 12 for 20 or six for 10 dvds so um they start out at two bucks but if you get six of them you get it for 10 and if you get a uh, 12 of them you get it for 20 so it, it ends up being you know less than two dollars per uh, dvd so i got texas chainsaw massacre 2 recently a really nice fancy shriek show i think it was for edition of it so I'm going to rewatch that and I'll talk about it eventually. But um, Toby Hooper did direct the movie. But just a little bit about the, the book Space Vampires. Because um, there there are um, a bunch of differences between the book and the movie. And um, not, not any that necessarily really matter. <laughs> but um, the ending is different in both of them for sure. Um, and the beginning is different in both of them, really, <clears throat> because in the book, this giant thing, you know, spaceship kind of thing is discovered in space just on a, you know, on a, while the, this ship is going through space, they discover this, this gigantic spaceship <clears throat> that kind of, they keep saying kind of looks like a, a castle. They say a castle like alien spacecraft. 
Um, and they go inside and they discover these, um, these beings, these people, um, and these transparent kind of coffin things. And in the book, they, they find, they find a whole bunch of them from what I remember it. And like, uh, just like with uh, cabin in the woods, it's been a little longer since I finished the space vampires. Although I watched life force more recently, but, um, so I'm a little sketchy on some of the details on space vampires, but, um, they discover, I think from what I remember, like in the movie that when they go into the ship, there are all these kind of giant bat things that are floating around. But I thought in the move in the book, they were, um, they were, it says, well, giant bat like creatures. So it's the same. That's the same in the book and the movie. Maybe I should just go along and kind of, um, compare them like this. Um, so they go in both movies in both versions, they find this ship, but in the movie, unlike in the book, in the book, it's like a space mission that, you know, that they just happen to stumble across it. In the movie there, the, the space shuttle is going with a, with a kind of a, it's a British and an American crew, I think, um, to investigate Halley's Comet. And in the, the corona of the comet, I think they say, um, they find this giant ship, yeah, the corona of the comet, and uh, hidden in the corona. And in both versions, they enter the ship, and they find these giant um, bat-like creatures floating around, dried up, you know, and uh, and then they find more human-like, humanoid um, creatures in kind of um, um, clear, they don't know what they're made of, kind of coffins. And in the movie, they end up taking two female of the humanoid bodies and a male and taking them back to earth to study in the movie they they take two male bodies and a female and uh, they take them back to the space shuttle to bring them back to earth to study um in the book they make it back to earth fine with the space vampires from what i remember with the three bodies and uh they they study them and um so so they do they do make it back to earth fairly safely in the book from what i remember in the movie when they get back to earth when they get back to earth space i can't remember if they land or if it's at a space station um everyone on board is dead except for steve rails back and uh so it's like something's gone wrong in the ship in the movie version it's more dramatic you know um, both are very similar though, slightly later because, you know, the, the, the bodies are taken to earth of the, of the, um, the three bodies that are found on the giant ship are taken to earth for study. And that happens in both in the book and the movie, <coughs> excuse me. And in both, one of the female bodies awakens and, um, sucks the life force out of um, the person you know that's in the room in the in the book it's a, a reporter and in the movie it's like a um, air force guy uh, air force um, guard who's guarding the bodies so that's similar and then she you know sucks the life force out of him and takes off um, so it's it's like eventually the other two in both versions kind of end up taking off too. <clears throat> um, 
it's I, I don't remember as much from the movie what happens to the two male characters later but in the in the book um, they all take off and, and the twist is that they can they can change bodies so you know they can kind of possess human bodies and uh, so it's hard to find them because they look different and that's pretty much uh, happens in both the book and the movie oh and by the way Life Force was supposed to be called the Space Vampires, but the movie company decided that it sounded kind of cheap, so they wanted a fancier-sounding name, and uh, <laughs> uh, they called it Life Force. And now, at this point, all of the the vampire specimens that have been brought back to Earth are loose. In the book, it's kind of more futuristic. Like in the book, they're always going to these video phone terminals to call people, you know, and in the the movie, it has nothing like that. It's more set in in you know in today's time, basically, in the eighties because it's you know, made in eighty five. But there's nothing really futuristic about it necessarily. But the you know the vampire, space vampires, the three that come to Earth are loose in both versions, and um, the book is is way more subdued than the movie. Um, they kind of disappear and, you know, some bodies kind of keep showing up. <clears throat> you know, Scott Lundley Yard is investigating. And, and for some reason in the book, the the commander of the spaceship that finds them becomes part of the investigation. And in the movie that it's it happens a little bit, but not as much as in the um, book. In the book, the main character's name is Carlson. He's uh, the pilot or the, the captain, I think, of the... Um, yeah, Captain Olaf Olaf Carlson is the ca- captain of the ship that finds this this space vampire ship. Whereas Steve Railbusback character, I don't even know if it's the same name. Um, let's see. Yeah, it's the same name, although it's Colonel Tom Carlson in the movie and it's Olaf Carlson in the book, so those are similar. Um, some of the the um, the uh, scientist names are similar, but that doesn't matter. Uh, in the book, though, they, they start to, to kind of look into vampirism, and uh, they end up taking this trip to this island in Norway, I think it was, to to, to talk to a guy who's um, like an expert on vampires. And uh, it, it, there's this whole side trip, you know, with that, whereas that doesn't exist in the movie. You know, it, it, there are some similar things, but... Um, you know they they end up tracking down pretty much the the vampires and the, it's in the in the book um the vampires aren't as big of threat at least as they're shown in the movie because in the movie the whole all of england is kind of you know london at least is being overrun by these people who uh, you know have had their their life force drained and then become a, a vampire uh, kind of a um, like a life force sucking vampire and then you know so it's it's almost like a vampire plague kind of like um last man on earth uh, kind of thing or a um when, uh, last man on earth actually not last man on earth the uh, i am legend kind of thing because uh you know i am legends the book that uh last man on earth is based on at least so um but you know london's kind of fallen apart at this point in the movie in the book none of that happens really it's a lot more subdued it's a lot more intellectual in the book and uh but they kind of track down who the uh 
the main female vampire who she's um kind of possessing in the in both versions and uh they kind of you know they end up see it's it's like it's so convoluted and the differences in them but um needless to say they it all ends up in the same place in the book it turns out that the prime minister of england is is possessed by one of the space vampires so um it's kind of you know a little more paranoid in that these you know these space vampires can take over anyone so they take over important an important person or the most important person in england at least and uh and it's interesting because the end of the book is so much different because it turns out there's this whole lovecraft kind of um inspired uh, thing in the book where these aliens are uh they're these space vampires are uh, these aliens who um they're kind of like giant um octopus <laughs> you know like a cthulhu kind of thing and um they they got lost in space and couldn't find their way home and to survive they've kind of become these these vampire kind of creatures so that they can kind of try to make their way home and uh at the end one of the one of the the aliens from their home world shows up and takes them home is going to take them home to uh to not necessarily try them because on their world they're so advanced that they don't believe, they don't have punishment kind of things and i think what happens at the end is the space vampires when they're when when they're made normal again you know they they're not they're no longer space vampires anymore they're not they don't have to feed off other people's life forces other beings life forces i think they kill themselves because they're so embarrassed from what i remember so it's different at the end of of the the book the book um you know the all of the the humans basically live for the most part carlson lives and uh and this the vampires kind of are sent back to their they're going to be sent back to their own world but they i think they they commit suicide before it happens because they're embarrassed by what they did but in the movie um one of the vampires is killed by an iron spear kind of sword and that they realize that's how they kill him i think one is killed one of the males is killed somewhere early in the movie then the other one is killed um actually no yeah no one is killed in the lab kind of in that in the lab but in someone's office by the, the the iron spear sword thing and then another one is killed the other male is killed while kind of directing life force into space to the ship because in the in the book the, the they want to bring the vampire ship to earth to study it but they don't and then they figure out that it, you know that these space vampires are dangerous don't bring them to earth whereas in the movie the space vampire ship ends up making its way into earth's orbit so um it comes to earth anyway so that's the thing is then the then these vampires that the the two males and the female they're kind of directing life force up to the ship to kind of reanimate every all the the space vampires that are on the ship but um it turns out steve rails back the carlson character um kind of um he's because he has like a link kind of with the main female vampire from when they first when he first found them on the ship um he reunites kind of with her at the end of the movie and then the other main scientific character stabs them both through the both of their bodies with the iron uh, sword um 
thing. It's like a giant sword, I think it is, and kills the the main space vampire. Well, basically, Railsbeck is she says she tells Steve Railsbeck that he has always been one of these space vampires. So, um, his and her life force shoot up to the the vampire ship, and then it takes off and leaves Earth. So it's like they you think they're kind of they kind of die, but then they kind of go back up to the ship. At least their life forces do. So, um, so it's different than the movie. I mean, different than the book because the book is not as destructive. You know, the the uh, the the aliens are sent back and everyone is saved because it's it's a lot cleaner that way. Whereas in the movie, it's more dramatic. You know. So, but uh, one thing I have to say though about the movie is people can say what they want about Toby Hooper. But um, the main female, you know, the only female space vampire that we see in the movie, because in the book there are two females and one male. In the movie there's two females and one male. I mean, in the movie there's one male, one female and two males. In the book there's two females and one male. The female vampire in the book is played by Matilda May, who is gorgeous. She's perfect. <laughs> um, and... Uh, if Toby Hooper could get her to walk around naked in this movie for a long time at the beginning of this movie, he's a pretty smart director because uh, she is uh, very attractive and uh, she's just walking around naked at the beginning of the movie. And, uh, you know, as a kid in high school, you graduated from high school, that was the main appeal of this movie. Since you know, I've gotten older, it's not that's not as huge of a deal in the movie, but it, you know overall I think it's a good movie too. But uh, if Toby Hooper can talk Matilda May into doing that role, he's a genius. So anyone who's ripping on Toby Hooper, give him a break because uh, Space Vampires. I mean, Life Force is a good movie, and uh, and the fact that he talked Matilda May into doing what she did in that movie, he did a pretty good job. You know. Okay, time to watch TV. Don't sleep. The right way to fight a battle royale by the PR Act Committee. Hello to ninth grade class B and greetings. Yes, say hello. As you know, every year we choose a class for battle royale, and this year it's you. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Now listen carefully to what I say. I'm going to explain what to do. Again, listen carefully. Fight well and with energy. Now, with Hunger Games coming out recently, um, I haven't gotten to see it yet, but uh, it's it's now at our Cinemark, so I'm going to go see it uh, hopefully Monday. This is uh, Saturday night I'm recording. So hopefully Monday I'll be going to see Hunger Games in another uh, later edition of the Dark Room podcast. I'll be talking about that, I'm sure. But um, our local library, because of the Hunger Games, our local library got the re-release of battle royale because everyone's been comparing them and uh, i had seen battle royale years a few years ago um, online there was a a website that was streaming a bunch of asian movies from different asian countries and uh, i ended up watching battle royale in this little you know like three by three inch box on the website and uh, i at first, like I said earlier about slashers, I'm not a fan of watching people die in movies um, because, uh, to me, once I start to see these characters as people, when they die, it's it's not something funny, you know. 
and I don't get enjoyment from seeing people die in a movie. So I didn't want to see Battle Royale when I first heard about it. You know, being a dad, uh, especially, I don't want to see kids die, especially. Um, so if you know the story of Battle Royale, I think it's a ninth grade class, um, is, uh, is taken to this island and told that they have to fight each other to the death and only one can survive. And they set up all these things to ensure that they fight and kill each other because, uh, because, uh, they, you know, they have like, they put these collars on all of the students and, uh, at the end of the, whatever the time period is, they, they have to fight for, um, so many hours or so many days, I guess, um, the, they'll all die. Like their, their, um, collars will explode. So, um, they're forced to fight and like, there are different zones on the Island that they're on and they're told throughout the day what zones are safe. And if they just kind of try to hide then they end up in a zone that's not safe, their collars, I think will go off and kill them. So, um, but that's the basic story of of Battle Royale is this this high school class is taken to this this um island and told they have to fight each other to the death and uh that's the movie and originally I didn't want to see it but after I saw it I was surprised it's done in in a really um interesting way where a lot of the violence is kind of cartoony except for one scene I really got me, but, um, but, you know, it's, it's a very intense movie, you know, when the, when the class ends up at the island and they're going through their orientation of what they're supposed to, you know, what they're going to have to do. Um, oh, this movie is, um, it's from 2000 and the novel is based on a novel from 1999. So, um, the novel is called Battle Royale by Koshin. Takami, and the movie is by, uh, let's see, directed by Kinji Fukasaku, but, um, they, you know, that you're watching the class go through their orientation, you know, cause they're all kind of going crazy. Like we're not going to do it. And, and they show them this video. That's kind of a silly, um, video. It's kind of, um, it's kind of um, funny how the, there's like female character, uh, you know, telling them what they have to do. And uh, you watch the class and, and throughout the orientation, they're kind of, you know, they're not happy and they're they're yelling. And, you know, one of them ends up being killed by the teacher who's uh, the former teacher who's who's kind of giving the orientation. And then as an example of what could happen to them, they also blow up one of the kids' um, collars to show that it kind of blows your head off kind of. So, you know, they, they go through the orientation and then they're all let out of the, the main building one by one and released onto the Island. And, uh, and it's pretty intense and they're given a backpack each with, with kind of supplies and, uh, a weapon. And, you know, it's funny cause some of them, their weapon is like, uh, a pot lid and other ones, their weapons, a machine gun or a bow and arrow or a sword maybe, or one of them is a, a tracking device where he can see where other people are by their collars so he can run from them or sneak up on them or whatever with this tracking device. So and some of them get great, great uh, weapons and some don't. And just watching them interact on the island, you know, and kids who had crushes on other kids 
but never told them or boyfriend and girlfriend who kind of stick together or friends who stick together. It's interesting to see how some of them don't just turn on each other, you know, but some of them do turn on, on their f- former friends or classmates. And uh, some of them start killing right away and other ones refuse to kill and end up, you know, accidentally killing, you know, through uh, misunderstandings and things. And so, and there are wild cards. There's two guys who are in the battle royale who who have been in it before and won to kind of make things more interesting. They, you know, they add these two kids who are older, a little older, and they've won their battle royales in the past. So they're kind of ringers. But it's 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 a pretty intense movie. And you watch these kids killing each other, and you know, it's there's nothing fun about it. It's 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 intense and it's sad and it's, but um, you know, it it's inspiring at times when. The, like there's a group of nerds who who get together and they're going to hack the battle royale um, computers, you know, because there are computers running the whole thing, you know, monitoring where the kids are and everything. And um, they hack, they're going to hack the system and, and shut it down. And they do end up hacking in, but it doesn't really, it's not, it doesn't affect much. But, you know, at least these kids kind of try to work together to change it to, instead of just killing each other. And uh, so it kind of it kind of looks at human nature to see how kids would do things. But there's one scene that really got me where this kid, like he really liked this girl apparently in high school. But, you know, she was this attractive girl and he's kind of a nerd maybe. And he wants to have sex with her because he says, uh, you know, something like, you know, we're going to die. We might as well have sex. And she's like. There's no way, you know, because I think she there's a, she has a boyfriend or like someone else, but she ends up, you know, stabbing him in the groin repeatedly, and it's like, that's just kind of, it's, it's too much. It's it's almost that thing doesn't really fit this movie. Although there are kids going around kind of getting retribution for what you know, kids they didn't like or thought that hurt, you know, thought were mean to them in high school kind of stuff. Whereas um, this kind of is out of place to me where she keeps stabbing him and then kills him. You know, it's like the kid, from what I remember, it didn't seem like he was that imposing. And uh, and then she ends up killing him. And uh, so th- I just thought that was kind of out of place to me. You know, but overall I thought the movie was pretty fair with its story and its characters. And and it has an interesting ending. I don't know if I'll spoil this one because um, it is a it's a good movie, and and I would recommend seeing it. And in Battle Royale does sound like a very similar idea. I mean, uh, Hunger Games does sound like a real similar idea to me. So um, you know, the people who who rip on fans of Battle Royale and say you know Hunger Games is nothing like it, it sounds like they're pretty similar. So, and I think there was a, there was a a sequel movie, Battle Royale to Requiem, and I don't think I've seen that. I think that was on, um, that website also, but I don't think I've seen that. And the director died, uh, he, uh, he died of prostate cancer in 2003 after shooting only one scene of the sequel. Then his son took over, Kenta Fukasaku, who wrote the screenplay for both movies, directed the rest of the movie. But um, it's it's a well-made movie. If you think you can handle the subject matter, I would say watch it. Um, I didn't think I could, but I ended up having no problem with it. So, But I don't know how it compares to The Hunger Games because I haven't seen The Hunger Games. To me, just from what I've heard people talk about in other podcasts, Hunger Games sounds a little silly to me compared to this. Even though this has some some kind of humor and it's a little comic booky at times, Battle Royale. Um, it seems to me more serious. So we'll see. 
you know, like I said, Cinemark has it now, so I'm going to go see it. And I'll let you know what I think. But uh, I think Battle Royale is pretty good. And, and I have um, the manga that I think, I think this the manga came after this, I think. Because fir- first it was a book, and then I think a movie, then a manga. So, but I have a manga of this, but I don't know if it's, because it seems like it became a series of, of manga comic books. And so... Um, yeah, it says the serial, it's the manga adaptation was, was serialized in Young Champion magazine from November 2002 to 2006. So I don't remember what mine is because there's a bunch of, or there's a second manga and then a two chapter spinoff. It says, so I don't know what mine is, but I do have a manga of this too that I haven't looked into yet. But, um, you know, be aware that it is, it's violent and it's violence towards young people they're i think they're ninth graders so if you can't take it because it is pretty intense i would i would say don't watch it but um if you think you can and you think you might get something out of it give it a try um because i i thought it turned out to be way better than i was expecting so and and i'll let you know what i think compared to hunger games now i'm nearing the end of a book that i'm reading that i got at my local library for a quarter and it's by uh, an author named Christopher Moore. And he seems to write kind of, um, I don't know how you describe him. Um, he's been compared to Douglas Adams and Kurt Vonnegut. And um, Vonnegut, I always call, is more of an ironic writer. He uses irony a lot to me. And um, Moore kind of does that, but he gets a little a little zanier even than, than Vonnegut, I think. But... Um, I've seen his books at the library before, and I, I was tempted to try them. The vampire one, I think I was going to try. I think there was a zombie one, too. and uh, But I didn't, I, I never tried him because it just seemed like he was going to be a little too zany, you know. And but So I passed on him. But I saw this one for a quarter, and I figured, how can I go wrong? Um, you know, for a quarter, if I don't like it, I'll just stop reading it. But um, what was the, because the, he wrote Bite Me a Love Story, which is a which is a vampire one, I think. And then You Suck a Love Story, which I think is a vampire one. And then there's The the Stupidest Angel, A Heartwarming Tale of Christmas Terror. I don't think that's the, I thought he did a zombie one. But the book I, I picked up by him is called Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff. Christ's childhood pal <laughs> and uh, uh, the description of the book is the birth of Jesus has been well chronicled as have his glorious teachings acts and divine sacrifice after his 30th birthday but no one knows about the early life of the son of God the missing years except Biff the Messiah Messiah's except Biff the Messiah's best bud who has been resurrected to tell the story and the divinely hu- hilarious yet Heartfelt work reminiscent of Vonnegut and Douglas Adams. And uh, right away, the name Biff, you know, is a little silly. But his name's Levi, who is called Biff, they say. But it's it's a neat book. I'm not I'm not a, involved in any type of organized religion. So I'm not biased towards or against um, any of this stuff. But, uh, you know, so, and I wasn't offended by any of it because I, you know, I don't be, don't necessarily believe in any of this stuff, or I know what I believe, but I don't subscribe to any of this organized stuff. And uh, 
it was just interesting to um, to read this because it, it is neat because um, it makes you think of, of Jesus kind of as a, a real person when you read this. But his name in this is Joshua because Jesus is the Latin pronunciation of it or it's another pronunciation of it. <clears throat> so it's interesting. But um, more... Moore's quote, his notes about this book are, um, quote, when I began writing the comic version of the Gospels, I took a sort of Hippocratic oath to myself, that is, first do no harm. I wanted to do this book without attacking anyone's faith and without questioning the spiritual precepts of Christ's identity as set down in the New Testament. As far as Lamb would be concerned, Jesus was who the Bible says he was, so I had to color within those lines. To do otherwise would have been mean-spirited, which is the only thing I feel is off-limits for humorous exploration. But all that came later. First, I had to decide to tell this story, and it came to me this way. In reading a novel called The Master and Margarita by Mikhail Bulgakov, I came across this section, which is the trial of Jesus as told from the point of view of Pontius Pilate. And I find that I'm completely sucked in by the humanity of the character's and I'm wondering why, after hearing the story all my life, I'm suddenly affected by it, and I realize that it is indeed the point of view. So a couple of months pass, and I'm thinking about the story of Jesus. And PBS Frontline does this series called From Jesus to Christ, by which I am informed that except for one incident in the Gospel of Luke, the Bible basically ignores nearly 30 years of Christ's life. And I say, hey, someone should write that part. So I set out trying to learn what I can about Israel in the first century and all the time I'm thinking, I need a witness. I need a point of view. I needed a guy who witnessed the missing years. I needed a guy who didn't view Jesus so much as a savior, but as a person. A guy who was so obnoxious that he was purposely edited out of the New Testament. I needed Christ's best friend, Biff. Imagine that you're a very average kid, but your best friend happens to be the best athlete in town. The captain of all the teams, the best looking, the most popular, the smartest, and you basically are trying to figure out your own identity while being eclipsed by your friend's presence. Pretty tough, huh? You'd have to be resilient. You'd have to have a sense of humility. In fact, you couldn't, you really couldn't be a good friend to this guy if you were impressed by his talents. This was the process I went through in creating Levi, who is called Biff, the narrator of Lamb. Biff's a good guy. He's fiercely loyal to his best pal Joshua Bar Joseph, who was Jesus. He's just not all that impressed. The way he deals with the ego crush of hanging out with the Son of God is by developing a wicked sense of humor, even to the point of inventing sarcasm. He's the perfect guy to give an ironic spin to the greatest story ever told. Once I had a narrator, it was all about research, about creating the world of first century Israel as accurately as I could, while exploiting the holes in history so I could tell the tale. The first part of the story takes place in Galilee, putting Biff and Josh in the midst of a very Tom Sawyer-style mystery. And I did model the mystery on that august twin tome more than a little. The middle section takes the boys to the Orient in search of the three wise men who were present at Joshua's birth. This becomes essentially a log of Joshua's search of how to become the man who would save the world. He learns the spiritual disciplines of Taoism, or is it Taoism? I'm, I'm never sure of that. Confucianism. Buddhism, Hinduism, while his best pal Biff concentrates on chasing girls and learning the finer points of the Karma Sutra, the Kama Sutra from a, a string of harlots. I like to think of this section as Josh and Biff's excellent adventure. Lamb finishes up with a behind-the-scenes view of Joshua's ministry 
and the events that transformed a kid from Galilee into the most influential human being ever to walk the earth. Think Butch and Sundance do Jerusalem. For me, Lamb started out as a further exploration of the phenomenon of faith and the responsibility of a Messiah that I touched on in Coyote Blue and Island of the Sequin Love Nun, but it ended up being an exploration of the true meaning of sacrifice, loyalty, and friendship, unquote. So if you could follow that, that was Christopher Moore's um, thoughts on, you know, how and why he did the book and what it what basically a synopsis of what it is and um, you follow um, Jesus and Biff through their adventures and uh, it is very uh, a very interesting story and you get to to know the characters and and, uh, um, you get to care about them and it is it is fun and more style I thought I wouldn't like but as usual when I avoid something and then end up watching it or reading it um, I ended up liking it I mean he's a pretty good writer um, the story moves along and, uh, it's well-written, I think. So, you know, it gets a little zany at times. Christ, Jesus, um, battles demons and, you know, and he, he's, um, healing people left and right and everything. But I think it's really good. I would totally recommend this book. I haven't finished it yet. I'm very near the end. I have to have 20, 30 pages left. So, uh, so I, I've pretty much read the whole story for the most part. So, um, so I can I feel safe in recommending it. I think it's pretty good, um, but you know if you're easily offended by something like this, I would say stay away from it, because uh, although the Joshua is a uh, is never nothing silly ever acts, you know, for the most part happens to him. Levi the Biff the main character, um, he's the one who does all of the pretty wild stuff. So so if you're if you're afraid you're going to be offended by it and you're very religious. Uh, you might not be, I don't know. I wasn't offended at all, so but I'm pretty tolerant of other ideas. So it's called Lamb, and uh, Lamb, the Gospel According to Biff, Christ's Childhood Pal. So if you want to check it out, I'm sure the library has it, so you, you're not going to be risking anything. And Christopher Moore is the author. So if you want to give give that a try, um, you know, it's not the... It's not the best book I've ever read, but I think it's a fun read, and it's a pretty fast read, too, so I would recommend it. Soldier! Soldier! Holy Mother of God! You never... What happened to you? Are you okay? What happened to me? Some kid... He just hooked himself right into the wood chipper. What? Head first right into the wood chipper. From his shoes and his pants, it looked like it might have been one of the college kids. What the hell happened to her? What? Oh, she got knocked down, fell into the shitter hole right next to me. Is that your blood? What? No. No, it's college kid blood. One of those suckers came running out of nowhere and speared himself straight through the gut and died right on top of me, Todd. Holy crap. Oh, no. Calm down. Calm down. Don't cry. Calm down. Okay. Get a hold of yourself. Ooh. <sighs> All right. I know what this is. What? This is a suicide pact. Now, recently, a friend of mine who who, um, I met because he sells DVDs, buys and sells used DVDs, and I buy from him. I met him on Craigslist, and I've been buying from him for a couple years. And as I look around my office, I can tell that I have been because there are a lot of DVDs in this office. Um, but he told me recently that he goes to Family Video, which is a blockbuster-style DV, uh, video rental store, DVD rental store. And um, what they do is, after they've had DVDs for a while, you know, because a, a, a video rental store will buy, you know, if it's a big movie, 10 or 20 of that movie. 
but as the movie gets older, they don't need that many copies, so they sell them off and keep a, you know one or two copies for their shelf, you know. And what they do at block at um, <laughs> Blockbuster, at uh, I haven't been to Blockbuster in a long time. Not that I'm opposed to that, I just haven't been. I I tend to rent DVDs from my local library. Our library, it's a dollar, but there's another library in the area that has a, a really good, also has a really good collection. You know, our library has a good collection, but they don't necessarily get a lot of alternative stuff. But there's an, another local library where you can rent for free, and uh, they have a really good selection of alternative stuff. So um, that's why I don't end up in, in DVD, uh, I mean video rental stores, as often as I would um, otherwise. But um, Family Video sells their DVDs, and I think they start off at nine ninety five when they're for sale, and then they go down little by little. And what I end up doing is buying them when they're, what is it, a dollar ninety five or two for three. So I've gotten, since I found this out, I've gotten quite a few movies. Uh, that way, I got Colin, which uh, is a, a it's a independent zombie movie. Let Me In. I got Wreck. Red State, Roman, Hobo with a Shotgun, Troll Hunter, Tucker and Dale versus Evil, Stakeland, and Monsters are what I've bought so far. And I got all of those two for three, so I paid a buck fifty for them. Now, they're all in good shape. For, you know, they clean them up when you get them. Um, I, they all have original, the box art, except for one of them has a photocopy. And I'm told by my friend that if you're bothered by getting a photocopy, cover in your dvd case you can call around to other family videos in the area and they will let you come in and swap covers if you want but i'm not that concerned with it my my troll hunter um cover is a photocopy but the movie is fine it's an original of the disc but not of the cover and i think my monsters cover may be a photocopy but it's a color photocopy at least whereas my troll hunters are black and white so my colin cover maybe a color photocopy too but i don't mind it's the actual professional disc it's just not on the, in those cases the cover so um you know i'm not as concerned with them some of them have had a rough spot here and there and um and i'm told if you take them back within so within so many days they'll either replace them or they'll clean them again for you but none of them were that bad where i was that concerned with it well i also got the fountainhead i think along with those but uh, those are the best ones i got and uh, I have to say, Monsters, I, I've since rewatched because these are all movies for the most part that I've seen, except for Red State and Let Me In, I haven't seen, or Hobo with a Shotgun, I hadn't seen either. But I, you know, I rewatched Monsters after I got it, and it was still great. Stakeland, I rewatched, and it was still great. Tucker and Dale versus Evil, I rewatched, and it was great. So did Troll Hunter, I watched on a, a, our, our UVerse gave us a, a free coupon for two free movies. And I watched it on a free with a free coupon on, on demand, and so I rewatched it when I bought it on DVD, and it's still great. Um, I watched Hobo and a Shotgun, Hobo with a Shotgun after I got it, and that was a that was a really fun movie, very trauma like, except um, higher quality, I think. So if you like trauma movies, but you you don't mind a little higher quality than trauma, um, I would recommend. Uh, watching uh hobo with a shotgun ronan i've seen before but i'm gonna have to rewatch. um was good disturbing but but a decent movie um red state i haven't seen 
but I've heard Kevin Smith talk about it a lot. So, and I've heard podcasts where they tell you the whole story. So I know the story for the most part, but I have to watch that still. Colin, I've never watched all the way through. Um, it's a, a neat idea, but it seems to drag a little for me. So we'll see. Wreck, I've seen before, but um, I want to watch again. Uh, it scares the crap out of me, Wreck. So I have a hard time. I always end up starting it late at night, and then I end up stopping it because for me for some reason it's not a movie i can watch late at night by myself <laughs> then let me in i haven't seen i've seen let the right one in i have the book and i've re- started reading it but uh, i haven't finished it yet so uh, but i want to watch it let me in and roman let me in i haven't seen and then roman i have seen but um but i want to watch again because uh, it's like a low budget movie kind of a slasher kind of movie a little bit which I normally wouldn't be interested in, but Lucky McKee is such a good director that it makes me want to watch his stuff. So, But if you're in the market for used DVDs, um, they do have some neat ones at uh, Family Video. The one I really want to see is The Dead. They have, but it's still five ninety five, and I'm used to paying $2 or less for a DVD, so I have a hard time with a movie I've never seen before paying five ninety five. So I'm holding out to see if it'll get down to a lower price. That or I'll end up checking it out on Redbox for $1.20. I've never done Redbox, but I'm tempted to sign up just to get the dad for $1.20. But if you have a family video in your area and you weren't aware of this, because I wasn't until recently, I would say um, you know go there and check out what they have because like Troll Hunter's been out quite a while, just like Tucker and Dale versus Evil Monsters and Stakeland and Hobo with a Shotgun. And um, I was surprised those were still around, you know, for a buck ninety-five, and then I got two for three instead. It's totally worth it, you know, and you don't have to be a member, although I may end up joining Family Video too because they have some movies I want to see that I haven't. And I think it's two bucks a rental, something like that. So it's not horrible. It's more than I pay at my library. But let's face it, there are some movies a library's not going to get. Like Hobo with a Shotgun isn't going to show up at my library, that's for sure. <laughs> Red State might, but I just want to see it. I don't think it's going to be my type of movie. I'm a Kevin Smith fan, but I don't necessarily enjoy everything he's done. But I, I'm going to give it a chance. I got it for a dollar fifty, you know. So. So if you if you do have a family video in your area, check it out. Even when I've been on trips to Ohio, I've stopped in family videos and found some neat stuff. Well, sometimes, Matt, may I call you Matt? Yeah, sure. Sometimes a single inspiration just comes to you in the middle of the night. But but your genius seems to hide in a in a stuffed toy. So so people have to doubt your sanity a little. Well, Mozart was said to occasionally meow like a cat, but he got on all right. Great music, don't you think? Uh, Walter, I want to talk about depression. Um, Because the the way it's been told to me, this whole thing started as a way for you to deal with your mental illness. All right. Well, sometimes, man, we reach a point where in order to go on, we have to wipe the slate clean. We start to see ourselves as a box that we're trapped inside. And no matter how we try and escape, self-help, therapy, drugs, we're just sink further and further down. And the only way to truly break out of the box is just to get rid of it altogether. I mean, you built it in the first place. 
If your people around you are breaking your spirit, who needs them? Your wife, who pretends to love you? Your son, who can't even stand you? I mean, put them out of their misery. Starting over isn't crazy. Crazy is being miserable and walking around half asleep, numb, day after day after day. Crazy is pretending to be happy. Pretending that the way things are is the way they have to be for the rest of your bleeding life. All the potential, hope, all that joy, feeling, all that passion that that life has sucked out of you. That reach out, grab a hold of it, and snatch it back from that blood-sucking rabble. Walter, it's good to have you here. Thank you. Right now, just a quick look at some of the things I've been watching lately. Um, just to kind of let you know what what I've seen and maybe give you a heads up on some stuff that may be worth checking out. One movie that I saw recently that I thought was pretty good was um, The Beaver, directed by Jodie Foster and starring Mel Gibson. A lot of people aren't fans of Mel Gibson anymore. I still am. I still remember Braveheart and um, Signs and loving Mel Gibson. Not, not necessarily... Um, you know, Lethal Weapon I thought was good. I saw it when I was a kid in theater. And uh, and uh, Road Warrior I saw in the theater. Mad Max I saw after Road Warrior, so I was more of a fan of Road Warrior. But, um, you know, I more became a fan of him um, in Braveheart and in Signs. But I'm still a fan, and I hope he gets help because he seems messed up. But uh saw The Beaver. It was good. It was a different kind of role for him, and he speaks with a for the most part with a English accent. And I don't know if that's his real accent or if he was just putting it on for the movie, but it's a, you know, a guy is um, deeply depressed, clinically depressed. And he finds a, you know, a beaver puppet puts it on his hand and kind of uses the beaver puppet to, as a way to communicate with people. And, uh, it's, um, uh, it's interesting what happens. I don't want to spoil it. You know, like I've said in the past, I don't believe in spoilers, but uh, this is a movie I think you should um, experience. Um, you know, I don't know if I could spoil it for you or not, but um, because I, I I tend to like going into a movie knowing what's going to happen, so I can watch the twists and and read what's you know how they got there. But um, the Beaver is a good movie. I think um, it's got some good performances. I really like Jodie Foster in it too. I think everyone's good in it, and uh, I think it's it's an interesting movie. And I don't know if if it's a bad movie, and I'm just not, uh, you know, like I'm I'm just a, a fan of Mel Gibson, so I can't see it or what because um, you know I I really liked it, but I don't know if uh, necessarily if I'm if I'm qualified to say if it's a good movie or not. But I still enjoyed it. So um, it's called The Beaver, and uh, I would recommend it. Another movie I saw recently was Machete. I've seen part of it before in a free preview on HBO on like a holiday weekend. But I I didn't watch it all, and, and so I, I got that. I got it from the DVD guy for two bucks or less, whatever it was. And dollar uh, eighty or something like that. And I, I liked it. I thought Danny Trejo was really good in it, but I felt sorry for him at times because, you know, he's getting getting a little older, and uh, and I felt bad for him because they made him do all this crazy stuff, jumping them, you know, off roofs and stuff. And he's an older guy, so uh, 
you know, but he was really good. I thought it was a fun movie. I thought overall it was a good movie. Uh, it was you know, a little over the top, but I can't fault it for that, you know. So um, Machete is a is a recommend, definitely. Um, it's, I think it's better than Death Proof, um, at least as good as uh, Planet Terror. So, you know, since those are other movies by these guys. So, and it does start off with the fake of film grain and hair and everything like those do. So it is, it is in the same vein as them. Another one is I saw is a movie called Mulberry street. And I think it's, it's a little older Mulberry street. Um, it's one of the eight films to die for, but it's from, um, I think it was 2008. Let me look it up really quick. Cause I looked it up myself and, uh, just to kind of get a little background on it. 2007 eight films to die for and um it's it's written co-written and stars a guy named dick to a guy named nick demici and he's the star and writer i think i think he wrote also stakeland and um this is making me a huge fan of his because he was excellent in stakeland he stole the movie and he's really good in mulberry street mulberry street's kind of an infected movie kind of a 28 days later the twist on this though is the Infection is carried by rats, and when you're infected, you kind of become like a giant crazy rat thing, so kind of a human rat. So um, it's very cool. It's like the infect the um, infection starts in New York, and it's on Mulberry Street in New York apparently, and uh, it's just really interesting. It's low budget, so don't expect a, a fantastic movie, but Nick Demichi is really good in it, and uh, yeah, you know he. Uh, he steals the movie, although there are some other good um, performances in this movie. Um, but he's he's really good, especially if you see Stakeland first. I think you're going to really be rooting for him because he he is a really good actor and a very likable actor. Um, I also what was I watching? Um, darn, I was watching a Russell Crowe movie, and it made me really want to watch another one. Darn it! What was I watching on cable? Oh, L.A. Confidential, the movie that um, made me start really being a huge Russell Crowe fan. And I watched L.A. Confidential on, uh, was it was it on TCM? I don't know if it was on TCM. Maybe it was on Fox Movie Channel, something like that, maybe. But it was on one of the channels, and it was uncut from what I remember. No, maybe it was IFC, because I think it occasionally went to a commercial. But um, it made me remember how great that movie really is and how, how much uh, I really like Russell Crowe. So I thought, well, what's a Russell Crowe movie I have that I haven't seen? And one, 310 to Yuma came to mind, so I watched that. It's a Western with Christian Bale and, uh, and Russell Crowe, and it's just a, it's a good movie. Crow is really good in it. Um, he doesn't. He does some stuff that you won't think. What the heck's he doing? But um, I guess he's kind of a crazy guy in it, and uh, so you know you can't always understand his motivations when he's doing stuff. But uh, it's just it's a neat movie. Um, you know, Russell Crowe's a bad guy, and uh, um, they, he gets captured, and they have to transport him to to this local town to get him on the train to get him to Yuma where the where the prison is to so then then they can take him and put him in prison and try him and uh he's like a bank robber and a train robber and everything and Christian Bale is one of the guys helping transport him and it just shows what they go through along the way and uh, it's just a really good movie 
I had before this, I kind of had watched um, a documentary, a TV documentary on YouTube about John Ford, and it was hosted by John Wayne, and it had um, it had Henry Fonda in it, and it had uh, um, what's a guy from Wonderful Life? Um, darn it, Jim James Stewart, and uh, and then it also you know um, John Ford was alive at this point, but very old. And they were in Monument Valley, being in, you know interviewing them and sitting around and reminiscing about the movies, and it made me all excited to watch a western. So, um, so I watched Three Ten to Yuma, and it was really fun. So I would I would recommend Three Ten to Yuma, you know, if you're a uh, if you're a western fan especially. And then because of Ernest Borgnine's passing recently, uh, TCM Turner Classic Movies had a, a night of Ernest Borgnine movies. And uh, it was really interesting to watch. I watched Marty, which is an amazing movie. He won the Academy Award, I think, for Best Actor, I think, for that movie. And, uh, you know, as I've said in the past, though, I'm not a big fan of the Academy Awards. But uh, sometimes they get it right. And uh, in this one they did recognize in this movie because it was good. But um, uh, Borgnine is fantastic in it. It's a, he's a, plays a, a New York butcher in the 50s and uh, 1950s and uh, he's out you know um, at a at a bar it's the kind of thing or ballroom or whatever in the 50s and uh, he meets this woman and they end up kind of going out and you know spending the rest of the night out talking and and um, they kind of um, get to know each other and you know they plan another date for the next day and uh just the things he goes through because he's just a guy and he doesn't think he's very attractive and he lives with his mom and he has, you know, he has a fr his best friend that he hangs out with and uh, they all don't like the girl because they don't want to lose him, you know? So they all tell him, you know, that girl's a loser and she's ugly and blah, 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 blah. So he kind of listens to them because he's not, you know, he's no confidence. He's a, he's kind of an you know, overweight guy and he's a butcher and he's just a regular guy, you know? So, um, so he's supposed to call her, but he doesn't because, uh, call her the next day, you know, to go to a movie, but he doesn't because, you know, his, all these people talk him out of it. His mom tells him how she's not, you know, she's not very attractive. And his friend tells him she, you know, that she's, she's a dog or whatever, because he doesn't want to lose Marty as a friend. So, but it, it's just very good. And, and you, you, you know, you're, you're following him as he's kind of on this date, which he turns into a date. He meets her and it kind of turns into a date and it's just kind of nerve wracking, you know, all this stuff. So, um, but it, it, it's neat, you know, to watch him go through it, but Marty, it's a classic. So you, what can I say? Just like the next movie I saw after it from here to eternity and, you know, movies, some movies are classics for a reason. I can't say gone with the wind is, but <laughs> But everyone has different tastes. But this movie, I'm go uh, from here to eternity. It's a great movie, great cast, great performances, a great story. Um, I don't know. I just uh, I can't recommend from here to eternity enough. You know, so uh, I'm sure everyone's familiar with it. But you know, watch it again if if you if you get the opportunity. Um, it's kind of um, you know follows the lives of these. These navy, well, what are they? They're some type of soldiers, but I don't think they're in the navy. Well, but they're stationed on 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 in Hawaii on Pearl Harbor, 
leading up to the events of Pearl Harbor being attacked. So, um, so you know, you see these people in the like the you know the 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 drama of their lives as you know as they're living their lives before Pearl Harbor is attacked, and then up until towards the end of the movie, Pearl Harbor is attacked and how it affects these people. And it's just a great movie. It's as good as you hear people say about it, you know. So um, I I would highly recommend that. But you don't have to, you know, have me <laughs> uh, recommend from here to eternity for you because everyone knows it's a good movie. And then finally, right after that, they showed uh, the Wild Bunch, which um, Borgnine is a lot more laid back in that movie. You know, he's more of a side character in that one. William Holden's more of the uh, star of that movie, you know, and, and Warren Oates kind of steals it when he's talking to... So um, so uh, Borgnine's not as big of a role in that, but it's interesting to see um, see him in Marty, and then I, I think it's a few... Is it... Well, actually, I think um, Marty's a few years after From Here to Eternity... So it's interesting to watch him change as an actor, at least very different kinds of roles um, between Marty and From Here to Eternity. Because Marty's 1955, and From Here to Eternity is 53. So 53, they do From Here to Eternity. He's kind of a bad guy. And although it, it's funny, because when Montgomery Clift... Um, confronts him, you know, in the in the alley, you know, and takes him in the alley and they knife fight. He he seems like he's actually not that bad a guy. He's just kind of, at times he's kind of mean, but you know, at times he's a normal guy. And for some reason, Sinatra's character just just kind of pushes his buttons, I guess. But then to see two years later, he's this you know he's this really regular guy and uh, and uh, Marty, and then you see him you know years and years later because. The Wild Bunch is way after all this. I mean, it's, um, let's see, it's, I think it's late 60s. It's 69. So, you know, you're going from mid-50s to late 60s. You know, it's a totally different kind of a character uh, than the other two, you know. But it's just interesting to see um, Borgnine in color, you know. Now, growing up, my favorite Ernest Borgnine character was in, uh, in Poseidon Adventure. I remember seeing that in the theater and, uh, and, you know, he was really good in that, the loud kind of angry guy he played. And so that was totally different than these other kind of characters too, you know? So, but, um, it was just interesting seeing her sport night. And, and what's interesting is growing up, we always watched him on McHale's Navy too. So he was uh, this kind of zany guy, you know, a little silly guy on uh, McHale's Navy so it was interesting to see him in more serious roles. And then more recently, you know, like when we watch SpongeBob, he's Mermaid Man. So it, that's totally interesting, too, because he's, you know, he's like this senile old guy, you know, in Mermaid Man. So and then I watched a, a interview Robert Osborne did with him on Turner Classic Movies. And he just seems like such a nice guy, you know. So one of my favorite actors, one of the better um, regular, you know, non leading man kind of American actors um, has died recently and uh, I would compare him to for me to a George C. Scott where they're not the best looking guy but they're a great actor with a lot of screen presence and they're a very powerful personality you know so you know two tough guys and uh, 
you know, George C. Scott's been gone a long time, but Borgnine just passed away recently. So, um, uh, it's sad, but you know what? It, the nice thing is these guys leave behind these movies. So they basically live forever, you know? So even though they're gone, we, we get to see them and experience them. Yeah. George C. Scott died in 1999. So 2000, so 13 years later, um, Borgnine dies. So, so there, but anyway, that's it, uh, for this edition of the dark room podcast. Just a, a quick recap. Uh, Cabin in the woods is a great movie. Go see it. If you can, don't expect a traditional slasher, but it's still fun. The rocker don't judge the book by its cover. It's a good movie. It's got a lot of heart and uh, I think you'll enjoy it. I have tears in my eyes when I watch it at the end of it every time. So I could be a wimp or not, but, um, give it a try. You might, uh, discover a movie you'll want to watch over and over again. Life Force, good movie. Space Vampires, the book it's, it's based on. Um, decent book, a little dry, kind of dated, but, um, I would recommend the movie over the book myself. Battle Royale, uh, uh, good movie, a little harsh, you know, you have to go in knowing if you can handle this violence towards teens, teens on teens violence. Um, and again, I will be seeing the hunger games Monday if all goes well. So uh, I'll report to you back on, uh, whether uh, the hunger games is uh, worth it or not worth your two hours or whatever it is of your life that you'll never get back. But Battle Royale is, is definitely worth it if you can stomach the movie. So uh, decide ahead of time whether you should spend the time. Um, Lamb uh, by Christopher Golden. Good book. Uh, not for everyone necessarily. I would think if you're religious, you may not be interested in it. But it's pretty fun. And go in knowing that Lamb is, or Christopher Moore is a, is a pretty um, humorous writer. So don't expect a serious book here, you know. But it is, it is a good read, I think. Um, and if you're in the market for used DVDs, Family Video is a pretty good deal if you wait for the movies to get down to 198 and then you can get two for three. So it's a buck fifty, and I've gotten quite a few. And uh, always uh, keep watching movies. Watch them on DVD. Watch them on cable if you have to. Uh, you never know where you're going to run across a good movie. And you never know, like The Rocker, you never know what you're going to get ahead of time so uh, don't be afraid to watch a movie you might not think you're going to like because you might end up finding a movie that you're going to want to watch over and over again in the future so um so until next time keep watching movies and uh again i will go see hunger games if you have a, a dollar or a dollar fifty theater in your town check out hunger, hunger games because it seems to be at that point in its life before dvd it's going to the dollar theaters so check it out. I'm going to check it out, and I'll let you know what I think. And if you want to let me know what you think, our email address is thedarkroompodcast at gmail.com. Any comments or questions, direct them there, and uh, I'll read them and comment on the show. Uh, and until next time, keep watching movies, and I'll see you again in the darkroom. Are you the kind that sees signs, sees miracles? Or do you believe that people just get lucky? 
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.